morning I'm going to be speaking to you from the Gospel of Luke, and I'll be in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 27, uh, and that's found on page 1026 in your pew Bibles. And while you're turning there, it is indeed a, a privilege for us to, to be here as well. I see a, a lot of people that I know, as well as many new faces, which again just reminds us of God's faithfulness and how He has been at work here uh, at Grace Baptist of Millersville. In many of the Apostle Paul's letters, he begins by expressing his uh, gratitude for the body of Christ. And I can say, in all honesty, I can relate to uh, lines like, I I thank my God in every remembrance of you. The Apostle Paul writes these things. And and I can say that honestly uh, when I think of you, uh, those that, that, that were here uh, when we came way back, I believe it was 2005 um, in January, and then uh, those that, that, that we met along the way as well, and also thank God for those of you that God has brought in since my family left. Um, you may not realize this, but you played um, an incredible role um, in our family's life. Uh, we came to, to Pennsylvania from Reedsville, North Carolina, and we were... Um, a hurting family, at least Angela and myself were, and had uh, come here not ready to from a, a difficult situation in a, a church we had served at before and uh, did not come uh, ready to to serve. In fact, I, we came uh, with some really big issues that... Uh, that you all, through your love and your patience, uh, God used you to bring healing in our lives. And I want you to know that that is not something that we take lightly. Uh, when we speak of Grace Baptist to, to others, we, we speak often of how God used you to minister to us. And, and anything good thing that, that God is, is doing over in, in Marietta as we seek to serve a hurting people there, it is a direct influence of, of how God used you in our lives. And so I want to, to just thank you for that. I, I don't know if I've had the opportunity to, to do this publicly. Uh, this certainly isn't part of the message. Uh, but I just want to thank you on behalf of Angela and myself and the kids as well uh, for your patience with us during those five years that we were here, for uh, how you loved on us and, and began to give us a picture of what a, a healthy church looks like. And so I'm just thankful, if nothing else, for this opportunity to come over and give glory to God for how He used you in our lives. And so I want to thank you for that. Let's dive into the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 23. And He, speaking of Jesus, said to all, If anyone would come after Me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. 
Lord, I want to thank You for these dear brothers and sisters and for this opportunity to, to come and open Your Word to them. Lord, we confess as, as those who are dependent upon the grace of God through Jesus Christ, through His perfect life, through His death on the cross for our sins, through His resurrection as, as the proof that You, the Father, were satisfied with the sacrifice. Lord, we, we come and we confess our dependence upon You, uh, upon the work of Your Spirit in our lives, and upon Your very Word. And so, Lord, as we come before You, we ask that Your Spirit would open our eyes and our hearts to the truth. Lord, that we would see our need to, to follow You more faithfully. And Lord, while it is great to, to be together again with friends and family, Lord, on, on, a, on a special day like this, Lord, let us not lose sight of our need for You. Lord, I pray that the, the fruit of this message would not be that, 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 that we would think how great it would be to, to see one another again or, or that anything that was witty or, or fun that was said might, might have, have encouraged anyone in a, in a fleshly way, but Lord, that we would, we would be changed and, and transformed by Your Word. Lord, we, we live in a time when we are so easily distracted by, by trivial things. And so we come before You, Lord, and we, we ask, no, Lord, we plead with You to, to work mightily in our hearts. Lord, we, we pray for Pastor Joel this morning as he is there with, with, our, with our dear friends at New Hope. Lord, use him in a mighty way. Lord, I pray You would open eyes and, and hearts to the truth of Your Word in ways that, that have not happened as of yet. That, that You would draw men and women unto the cross. Lord, that, that You would show them, show us, Lord, from Your Word that, that those who look to You by faith will never be ashamed. Speak, O Lord, until Your church is built, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, checking the, the online news and I, and I came across an article about a man by the name of Hugh Armstrong. This is a 72-year-old gentleman who is from North Carolina who was uh, vacationing up in New Hampshire and he decided he was going to go out for a walk one morning. And uh, he left a note for his family, his wife and his adult children going out for a walk, be back by 10 o'clock this morning. At some point along his walk, he, he, he lost his balance and fell into a ditch and, and became unconscious. Uh, he woke up later that night and could not remember who he was. But, but all he had in his mind was this overriding sense that he needed for some reason to get to North Carolina. He couldn't remember that he was married. couldn't remember that he had kids. And so over the course of, of two weeks, he, he, he made his way over a thousand miles from, from New Hampshire down to, to North Carolina just with this sense that there was some reason he should be here, some, some way he, he had to get down again. It actually involved a, a few days stop here in Pennsylvania where he got a job, 72 years old, helping a farmer out stacking hay for a place to stay and for clothes. This farmer actually gave him a ride down to Roanoke, Virginia, and then he, he began to, to, to make his way the, the rest of the way down to Asheville, North Carolina, where he was finally found on the side of a road by a police officer who was passing by in the middle of the night. 
Still no idea where he was, who he was. No idea really where in North Carolina he was supposed to be. But, but here he is, just, just following this impulse in his life. The police officer was clearly a, a very smart man who looked on the inside of, of Mr. Armstrong's wedding band and, and found his initials and, and did some research and actually found the missing persons report from New Hampshire and, and began to, to, to do the work coordinating with the police up there to, to reunite this man with his family. Again, no idea why it was North Carolina he had to get to. Nowhere, no idea where in North Carolina he needed to be. But he had traveled all this way with, with only one guiding influence in his life. The good news is, is when his wife and his son arrived to, to pick him up, he recognized them right away and said, well, that's my wife and son. And so his memory began to return as he came in contact with people that he knew. This is an incredible story. It's amazing that, that someone of any age could, could travel that far. And it's a story that, that I think is, is telling about how many of us go through life as followers of Christ and even those outside the faith. We, 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 we make our way through life being, being led by, by an impulse and a desire, maybe a, a sense that there's somewhere that we ought to be. At least Mr. Armstrong got his state right. But for many people, they, they, they flow through life going from, from, from one big thing to the next, hoping that in the course of their searching and in the course of the things that they are embracing and trying out, that they're going to find the, the meaning and, and the direction that they so desperately they want in their lives. I, I wish I could say that this is something that is true primarily just for those outside the faith, but unfortunately we can look at the, at the current state of, of Christianity in our nation and see that, that, that many believers live in this same way. We, we, we go from one thing to the next looking for this experience, this subjective experience that's going to validate our, our faith in Jesus Christ. Nowhere is this more obvious than in the context of the current teaching that we see broadcast and available to all of us through the many different ways we are connected in this world, whether it be through podcasts or the Internet or through books, radio, television. These teachers have opportunities and have large audiences that listen to what they teach. And the problem is, for many of these teachers, especially those that teach the prosperity gospel, are folks that have been involved in other postmodern type movements that deny absolute truth or somehow try to make God beholden to mankind like He owes us something. These are the people that are gaining more and more traction in the context of the, of the church, but also in the context of, of, of how the world understands Christianity. This is a big problem. And let me tell you, friend, if I know you or if I don't, if, if you are embracing teachers that, that are promoting some other type of gospel that, than, than what is found in God's Word, you are poisoning your soul. Turn from this, I beg of you. 
Anyone that, that tries to tell you that the evidence of, of God's favor in your life is going to be seen most clearly in you having a, a healthy life or a, or a full bank account or everything going your way in the context of your endeavors in life, your business endeavors or your, your family, understand that that is not the Gospel that you find in God's Word. And to believe those things, even though they appeal to us, they appeal to our fleshly fears and desires. It is rat poison as it relates to our spiritual health. The end is brokenness and death. It is important that, that we, who are the church of Jesus Christ, be transformed by the Word of God and understand what it truly means to be called a disciple. Of Jesus Christ. This morning, as we work through this passage, I, I want to approach it from three different angles. First of all, I want to look at the incredible cost of, of being a disciple. Secondly, I want to look at the immeasurable worth that, that comes from our relationship with Christ. And finally, I want us to consider the eternal glory. These are the, the three points I want to focus on. And as I dive in this morning, perhaps you've noticed this, I get a little loud. I want you to understand where that's coming from. I, I may not be a pastor here anymore, but I can speak uh, pretty well uh, on Scott's heart, Pastor Joel's heart, the heart of your elder board, that it is their desire to see you walking as Christ's disciples, to see you fully satisfied in your relationship with Him, to see you growing in your knowledge of God and in the grace of Jesus Christ and in your understanding of God's Word. So understand it as coming from someone who has been blessed by you and wants to bless you by calling you to believe and embrace some of the hard truths of God's Word. Because in this is where you will find true joy, true happiness that will transcend all your circumstances. We, we must come to understand as the church that, that, that being a follower of Christ is so much more than just getting your ticket punched so you don't get what you deserve when you die. Let's look first of all at an incredible cost. Verses 23 and 24. And He said to all, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And let me go ahead and just warn you that the bulk of our time will be spent on point one. Why? Because this hits you in the here and now. So when we've been at one for a while and I finally go to two, you're going to be thinking that, oh man, this is going to, we're going to be here all day. No, that's not the goal. <laughs> Number one is, is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Numbers 2 and 3 are important and are worthy of your consideration, but I want you to walk out of this room and I want you to apply this to your life as those who seek to be faithful in following Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to, to, to think about this because the idea that Christ would have expectations for His disciples, it might fly in the face of your understanding that salvation is a free gift. Well, what do you mean, Sam? I want to alleviate this problem in just a moment, but it's, we, we hear often about the, the free gift that, that is offered to us 
in Christ, His, His perfect life that we could not live, His death on the cross where He bore the punishment that we deserve, not just the physical death, but where God poured out His wrath on His Son and the resurrection and, and, and the call to, to believe this is a free call. We, we don't earn this. We don't work for it. We certainly don't deserve the grace that God offers through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I don't want you to, as I consider or call you to, to count the cost of following Christ, I don't want you to think that I'm telling you that somehow your salvation is something that you earn. Uh, that's an important distinction to make. And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 does a good job of, uh, of showing us the balance of, of, uh, of the free gift of salvation, but also why it's important that, that, that while it, it, it doesn't cost us anything in the sense that we earn it, to truly understand it leads to a changed life. We understand that our lives are no longer our own. We belong to, to the One who died and rose again for us can't buy it, you can't earn it, but if you truly understand it, there are implications for how our lives are changed. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-10. through 10. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So basically, what's he saying? It's all of grace. It's a gift. Christ secured this in His perfect life, in His death, in the resurrection. Paul reiterates in verse 8, For grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is what? It is the gift of God. It's not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, now catch this, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared for beforehand, that we should walk in them. Salvation, being reconciled, being restored to God, having that relationship renewed, is a gift of God. It's a gift that has implications. Where we find ourselves in Luke chapter 9 this morning, it's important we want to back up for a moment in verses 18 through 22, Jesus asked the disciples the question, Who do you say that I am? The disciples' answers, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked the disciples again, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, You are the Christ, the chosen one of God. It's the most important question you'll ever be asked. Who do you say that Jesus is? Saving faith is found in the acknowledgement that Jesus is the Son of God who was sent to die for our sins. In verses 23 through 27, we see the implications of that. 
Jesus tells us that we see the how in verses 17 through 22, and now we see the the implications in verses 23 through 27. Verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. So the first requirement of, of discipleship is the need to deny yourself. There, there's, a, there's an old saying that, that too many of us hold to. You've heard it a million times. Be true to yourself. Anybody not heard that? That's so popular. Right? It's the justification for the decisions that we make. Oh, well, I, 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 I knew I probably shouldn't leave my family, but, but I was being true to myself to, to go and pursue this relationship with another person. Or, or I know that, that God's Word calls me to be pure in, in, in my relationships, especially with those in the opposite sex, but, but I was being true to myself and, and we loved each other, so we, we, we dove into to an immoral relationship. It's interesting, in, in this passage, the, the, the word that is, is used... Sorry, I lost my place. The word that, that, that is used, that's translated deny yourself, is actually the Greek word arnesasto, which means be false to oneself. We, we live our lives in a way that says, you know what, we want to do what we feel like we ought to do, what our flesh desires, but the call in our life, according to God's Word, is that we be false to ourselves because we recognize that, that nine times out of ten, the desires that are in our hearts are, are contrary to what we are called to as followers of Christ. Jesus understands that the tendency of our heart and of mankind is away from godliness, not towards it. So in denying ourselves, we, we, we talk about this often, it's a, it's a, it's a willingness to, to die to those desires which are contrary to God's Word. Now this won't get you a big audience when you promote this kind of teaching. You, you want to follow Christ? Step one, deny yourself. What happened to the free gift? Still free. But those that understand what they've been saved from understand that, that there's a call to, to, to follow Christ. If you're going to, as Jesus says, come after Him, be His disciple, step one is, is a willingness to deny self. Why? Because self denies, or self desires those things that are bad for us. Jesus calls us to, to deny our desires and, and to pursue what He has for us. And to do that, we must humble ourselves and admit that our goals and our aims are not always as pure as we make them out to be. Quite honestly, this is where a lot of the false teaching comes from. And the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, that, that the time is coming and, and it is here when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is that time. And, and rather than to call people to deny themselves, the, the call in people's lives is, is to their best life now. Experience everything you want in this life. God is here to, to cater to your fleshly desires. That is not what we see laid out for us in God's Word. And again, I cannot stress the danger of this enough. 
These people are, are sharing the stage with men and women that we have looked to as being sound teachers in the past. For you to, to be the disciple that Christ died for you to be, you need to be a discerning disciple. That means you weigh what you hear to what you read in God's Word. Gone are the days when we can just coast through life and, and think because we, we hear of a teacher on our favorite radio station that all of a sudden they're orthodox. We, we live in a time where, where most believers lack the discernment to, to recognize truth from error. And that is where the importance of God's Word comes in. There's a reason that, that people follow false teachers. It's because they like what they say. Think about it in practical terms. What, what would you say about a doctor who, 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 who finds cancer in the body of a patient, but instead of telling them the truth and seeking to treat the problem, that, that, that doctor says, no, you're fine, go on. Just live the way you want to live, you're going to be fine. The doctor will be sued for malpractice. Sometimes the, the truths that we need to he, hear are, are the hard truths. The reality that you know what? When you are true to yourself, at some point, you are going to go off the path that Christ has for you. If you are true to yourself, then you will not follow Christ faithfully. The call is to deny ourselves, recognizing that God's way is the best way. God's plan is the right plan. And He has a plan for all of us as His church. The second, requirement ties, second two requirements ties in with the first as it relates to, to following Christ. He says, if anyone's going to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now in those days, a cross served, and one, served one purpose, and that was to execute people. It was a public display of scorn. It was designed to, to shame and humiliate. And we see in the crucifixion of Jesus that, that the person being execute, executed was made to carry his own cross to the location where the crucifixion was, would take place. In this section of Luke chapter 9, it actually it all takes place really on the backside of, of Jesus' ministry. We still have several chapters to go if you continue reading in the Gospel of Luke, but all of that takes place as Jesus' ministry is winding down. He has already started to reveal to His disciples that, that He would one day die and, and, and be buried and, and rise again. You'll see it coming. We also know that, that most of the apostles would be killed for following Christ. And that they all endured shame, abuse, and scorn for the sake of Jesus and His Gospel. But their attitude towards what would come was incredible in what they experienced. Listen to, to Acts chapter 5, verses 12-42. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to read one verse. But I want you to, to consider this. This, this takes place as the apostles, Jesus has already been crucified, ascended into heaven again. The disciples are, are now out ministering in the name, around Jerusalem in the name of Jesus. And, and at this point they are ministering in Solomon's portico. And that was part of the temple that surrounded the section where the Gentiles were allowed to gather. So uh, Peter and the other, other disciples were there uh, and they were teaching and, and people were coming by. They were performing miracles in, in the name of the Lord. 
and, and what happens? The, the religious leaders show up. They don't like what they're hearing. They don't like what's happening. They, they have them arrested. And they say, listen, you can't teach in the name of Jesus. So while they're sitting in prison, one night an angel appears, lets them out. Next day they go right back to it again. Same place, preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. Religious leaders don't like it. They have them brought in. They warn them again. Don't tell anybody. You can't keep preaching in the name of Jesus. And then they have them beaten. And they send them out, warning them to stop what they were doing. But listen to verse 41. It says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Did you catch that? They, they, they rejoiced. And the fact that they were suffering for the sake of the gospel. Now, now let's compare that to our attitude when things don't go our way. What do we do? We think, oh, well, you know, God must be mad at me or, or, or somehow I'm being punished because that person at work, my, my boss is unreasonable and just doesn't respect my faith and he's always making fun of me, and, 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 and he's harder on me than he is the other employees. That's, that's just not right. Or, man, I, I just can't get over this, this bad back or, or this other ailment that I'm struggling with. God must be cursing me. Well, brothers and sisters, if, if God's blessing upon us was dependent primarily on our circumstances, then the apostles be damned for what they endured. But they recognized the value of the message that they had to proclaim. Nothing speaks more loudly to us as we read God's Word to the value of the Gospel than what the disciples and apostles and the other followers of Christ were willing to endure for the sake of the Gospel. They understood that the Gospel was a death sentence and it was worth it. That's why Paul could write in Philippians, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's easy for us to, to, to look at the apostles and think, oh, well, they were just the super Christians. We're, we're not expected to live that way. That doesn't apply to us anymore. I mean, we live in America for crying out loud. Land of the free, home of the brave. Give me comfort, baby. The call to, to take up our cross daily at the very least means the willingness to die to self. But for some, it may mean death for real. Obviously, this is something that is a greater reality in other parts of the world. Just two weeks ago, you had... Twelve people going to church in Sudan who never walked out of the church again because gorillas came in and shot them to death. They live in a part of the world where you really could die any day for your faith. And, and you may never be asked to, to die for the name of Christ. But you know what? Then again, you might. You just don't know. So, so let's not just take this command to, to, to deny yourself and to, to take up your cross of just Jesus giving us some flowery call to, to follow Him. He's not being poetic here. It's a call to, to consider seriously what it means to be a follower of Christ. 
So at the very least, we're, we're willing to, to recognize His Lordship and His authority in our lives. And when He calls us to, to, to something that is other than what we desire for ourselves, we, we deny ourselves and we die to that desire and we are willing to follow Him because we recognize that His way is what is best for us. And again, the call to follow Him is a call to be His disciple, to be a learner or a follower. You may, like the disciples, you, you are unlike the disciples, you may never be beaten for what you believe. But then again, you might. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to, to say you follow Him? Are you willing to to go where He leads you? Are you willing to endure whatever it is He sets before you? Whether you have a a life of of relative ease compared to what others around the world face, or or whether you are called to the hard places and to lay down your life for the sake of the Gospel, are you willing to go there? Understand that that, that while this is not a a popular message, what I am calling you to is, is God's best for your life. To, to not be satisfied with the, with the foolishness and the, and the triviality that, 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 that takes so much of our focus away from the Lord. That's three aspects of, of, of or I'm sorry, two aspects of, of following Christ that I want you to consider from point one. First of all, I want you to realize that, that the call to follow clearly shows that somebody is leading the way. It should be pretty evident, right? It's an incredible cost. And, and Jesus said, if anyone's going to follow who? Me. So we are, we are following the one who died for us. So that to, to, follow me, or to follow means that there's somebody leading us. How does God lead us now? Is it simply through our desires and through the unction and what feels good? No. Hear that again. No. No, no, no. God leads us most clearly through His Word. You want discernment in this life? Saturate your mind with the truth found in this Bible. Or your own. But understand that that's how you're going to make heads or tails out of this life. Okay, So understand that you are following someone who is your leader. And, and secondly, the call to follow clearly reveals that we are headed towards a destination. There's, there's somewhere that we are being led Okay, and this life is not all that there is. The book of Hebrews is, is amazing. It's, 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 a, it's a letter written to disciples who are being persecuted. Disciples who are being thrown in jail. Disciples who are having stuff taken from them because of their faith in Christ. And, and the writer of Hebrews writes that incredible letter to, to point them to the reality that, you know what? Jesus is worth it. He's better than anything you guys have heard about in the Old Testament. His sacrifice is complete. He's the great high priest. He is the way to which you are reconciled to God. What you are enduring, Jesus is worth it. And he sums up the the whole book in in Hebrews 13, verses 12-15. It says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate, that's outside of Jerusalem, in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. 
instead of promising the Hebrews that God was going to make everything all better in this life, the writer of Hebrews concludes the book with a call to, you know what, let's join Jesus. Let's go where He did. He went outside the gate. That's the place where God's judgment rested. And He endured that judgment for us. He suffered and died to to draw us unto Himself, to reconcile us to God. Let's go where He is. Let's let's be willing to, to suffer and go where God calls us to go for the sake of the Gospel. Now you would think a letter that's all about telling them that it's worth it, that at some point he would remind them of, uh, of what's to come, and there is a, a, a remembrance of that in the book. But he sums it all up by calling them to, to be willing to, to go where God is leading, to be willing to, to die, to lay down their lives for the sake of the Gospel. The scary thing is, and, and it is frightening, is that this is Discipleship 101. Just as we see Jesus calling the, the disciples to, 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 to follow Him, to be willing to, willing to, to deny themselves, to, to take up their cross and to, and to follow Him. It's the same call that rests on our lives as well as those who have received the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Now understand, there is great joy in this life in, in following Christ. I, I hope that is obvious to you. But, but I'm focusing on the hard things because it's easy to let those things pass and not consider what we've been called to. We're called to to serve one another in love. We're called to be marked by the love that we have for one another in the church. So this should be a place when you come and you you look around, you see people, you're glad to see them, you encourage them, you you love them, you care for them. I I can testify as one who has experienced it personally here that 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 is something that I've experienced well from you. So there, there are great things about following Christ, but there are difficult things as well that we must be willing to consider. Let's, let's look quickly at the immeasurable worth of following Christ. Verses 24 and 25. Jesus says, For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Jesus gives us the why of following Him in the form of a question. And it should be one of those questions where the answer is obvious. Jesus is not looking for, for Peter to pipe up and, and answer this one. This one should be plain to all of us. What does it profit a, a person if he gains the whole world and loses and, and forfeits himself? The answer is obvious. It doesn't profit us anything. And it's important that we remember that as we consider that, that there are, are many people of, of great wealth and influence who are doing many great things around the world, but, but if they are outside of Christ when they die, what they have done to benefit others is of no value to them as they stand before God in judgment. So, for someone who is incredibly wealthy like Bill Gates to, to, to have the, the, the many different benevolent charities that he has, that, that, that helps orphans around the world. Those, the orphans benefit. The people who receive his care benefit. But when he stands before God, if he has not repented and embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, those things are of no value to him. One of the richest men in the world will be the poorest without Jesus Christ. 
So, so we see the, the wealthy prospering and, and sometimes the wicked prospering in this life, but we have to understand that, that, that the ultimate test of God's blessing is found in whether or not we are sons and daughters of the Most High God through what Christ has accomplished for us. So consider that as you live your life, as you spend your money. Are we investing in the kingdom of God or are we simply living for our own pleasure? Now again, this isn't, doesn't say you can't have hobbies, you can't do things that are fun. Of course we do that. We, leisure can be a gift from God. But ultimately, are our lives marked, our pocketbooks marked by what we claim to believe about Jesus Christ? Do we live like there is a greater treasure? Or do we live like the greatest treasures we're going to experience or we're going to experience in this life? It's a change in perspective that, that relates directly to Christ's lordship. I speak often to, to the Christians at, at New Hope about how our lives must reflect the value of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the, the priority that Jesus is in our lives. And I know that Pastor Joel does the same here as well. Cannot emphasize that enough. A life that, that recognizes what we have in Christ is a, is a transformed life. Finally, let's look quickly at an eternal glory. Verses 26 and 27. Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Verse 26 contains the warning, Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in him will the Son of Man be ashamed. This is a condemnation clearly of unbelievers. We know that, that none who truly believe will be rejected by God. This is where we stand in confidence. Is that it's on what Christ has accomplished that, that we are satisfied, that we are accepted by God. Those who don't believe, no matter how religious or how churched we may be, if we've never truly repented and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we will be condemned when we stand before God in judgment. We, we don't live typically like we're looking forward to that day. Because for the Christian, we, we have something to look forward to. It's going to be a great day at the return of Christ. It's going to be a day when, when all things are made new again. Verse 27 speaks about what Peter, James, and John would, will experience just in the next few verses where they witness the transfiguration of Jesus Christ in glory. They, 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 they see Him revealed as He will be revealed when He comes in His kingdom. And that was an awesome passage. You guys should really just read the rest of Luke after today and see how God is at work. But, but this is a promise from Jesus where He says some of, there's some standing here who won't die before they see Me in glory. It's a, it's a direct promise that, that there would be some who would see the transfiguration. And we see it take place in verses 28 through 36. An incredible passage. Jesus is calling us to, to understand that we live by a different set of values and priorities. That's something that should be clear to us all. 
And part of what we live for is what is to come. The reality that that there will be a day when Christ returns in glory, in the glory of the Father, and the glory of the angels. It it represents a day that, that, that everything that we have believed has not been in vain. And it's important that we, we, we get beyond the, the mentality that says, you know what, I want to live for the here and now. I want instant gratification. We're living for a, a future glory that, that in fact can, can serve as the motivation that, that keeps us from compromise in this life. We all know what it's like to be tempted. We, we, we know what it's like to, to fail. Why do we sin? Because temptation isn't tempting? Well, obviously not. It, it, it appeals to us. Sin would have no power in our lives if it didn't look attractive to us. But the reality that, that Christ will return, the reality that we will once see Him face to face, the fact that everything is going to be made new again, can serve to, to enable us to resist temptation in the here and now. Well, what does that look like? Well, Pick whatever it is you struggle with. Maybe with what you're struggling with right now. Is it immorality? Is it, is it, is it the fear of man? Loose lips. Maybe, maybe you're a gossip. You know this is a problem, but you know you're going to be tempted as soon as you walk out of these doors to engage in it. How do we resist? Well, we make a decision, a conscious decision, that although this temptation may appeal to us now, for the glory of God, I, I want to, to, to resist tempta- this temptation because there will be a day when I see Jesus face to face and I want the fact that I have resisted temptation in the here and now to glorify Him then. I, I want it to be obvious in how I strive against the, the, the temptations and the weakness of my flesh now by faith, because it's God who enables us to overcome. I want to, I want to be faithful now so that when He returns, He will get even more glory because I was living looking to that day when He would be revealed in glory. That's deep stuff. And, and we don't tend, tend to typically think that way. But, but if we get our minds around that, it has a transforming effect on our lives. So, so why, why am I beating you over the head with this this morning? It's simple. In the Great Commission, we, we see Jesus making a call to make disciples and not converts. Anywhere you, you see evangelism in, in, in the Bible, it's with the understanding that those who embrace the message will become followers of Christ. This is not for super Christians. It's for everyday Christians. It's for you and me who get distracted and and lose our way at times and and lose sight of what's important. It's a call for all of us to recognize that there's a better way. Your pastors and your elders desire to, to, to see you walking faithfully with the Lord. Why? So they'll look better? No. So that you'll experience true joy. So that our lives will will look like we treasure the Gospel more than we treasure the things that this world has to offer. To, to, To be a follower of Christ means we've received the forgiveness of God. Are you a forgiving person? We have received the the, the greatest love that could ever be lavished upon us in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you a loving person? 
We're to be marked by what we've received from God. That's the life of a disciple, a follower. It's a willingness to to trust Him for the strength to do the things that we cannot do on our own as we seek to follow Him faithfully and follow His Word. So let's be willing this morning to to consider the incredible cost of following Jesus. We pay nothing to receive the gift of salvation, but it costs us everything in regards to the implications and how it affects our lives. And it's worth it. It's an immeasurable worth. It leads to an eternal glory. And we get to glorify Him in the here and now. Brothers and sisters, thank you. Thank you for staying awake. Thank you for listening. Understand that this truth should mark us all. Be His disciple. Follow Him. Learn of Him. Obey Him. It's worth it. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for another day of life and for the knowledge that all who come to You by faith never need fear rejection. Lord, I know that it is easy for us to want to weigh our salvation in terms of our successes and failures, Lord, which leads to legalism. Would You set us free from that trap? Lord, help us to be an obedient people on the basis of the, of the fact that we trust You and that we know You Your ways are the best ways and what You have for us is what is best. Do these things in our lives for Your glory. Lord, I I pray that You would take these truths from Your Word and work mightily in us, Lord. Start with me. Bless this church, I pray, Lord. I pray that their ministry to this community and and the different places each person here will go this week, Lord, that, that their lives would reflect their love for You. That, that others would see their lives and want to know the reason for the hope that is in them. Lord, this is not something that we are called to, to trifle with and to play around with. Lord, when You call us to, to follow You, it is a life-changing call. Would You change our lives, we pray. Forgive us for the times, Lord, when we, we love the things of this world more than we love You. Forgive us, Lord, for the times when, when, when the temporary pleasures of sin outweigh our desire for Your glory. But make us mindful, Lord, of Your grace that is ever present in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.